Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Per 90 podcast. I'm once again joined by Jack Fawcett and making his debut today, Mr. H, otherwise known as HTO MUFC on social media. Needs no introduction, I'm sure. TikTok superstar. Um, but today we're going to be delving deep into a little bit about Brighton, mainly obviously the new coach who's been in for the majority of this season, Roberto De Zerbi, how he's settled in in England, how we think he's, you know, made an impact. And, you know, he's a very unique coach, I think. And it's it's very unique with the way Brighton run. It's very admirable for, you know, other clubs. I think should, they should be sort of following that sort of methods that they use and things like that, because it's it's quite a rare thing. Um, but they they do it so, so well. And yeah, they're reaping the rewards at the moment. Another player... This time we're going to look at is Victor Osimhen, a player linked with a lot of clubs at the moment, and it's completely understandable why. Absolutely dominating Syria, dominating the Champions League, and obviously Napoli themselves dominating Syria. And yeah, they look like they're going to win that that league at a canter, and that, you know it's quite a rare thing. With there's quite a lot of teams in there, who, you know, filter about and and sort of compete with each other, and yeah, it's very rare that a team runs away with the league like they have. So. Yeah, I think the impact Osimhen's made is is admirable, to be honest. And so, yeah, I think it's 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 a player that we all want to talk about. And obviously, he's been linked with Manchester United, who obviously Jack and H support. So, first of all, I'll come to you, H. Uh, I know you've done a, a lot of research into Deserby. You mentioned before the pod that you were watching him before he even came to Brighton. He's a he's a manager. He's had a lot of a lot of plaudits from other managers in the league. I think Klopp said he was very influential. Arteta said he's someone he's followed for years. Pep's had a lot of good words to say about him. How impressed have you been with the sort of impact he's made already? Because it's been quite a, a drastic impact. And I think a lot of Brighton fans would have been worried after losing Potter, but the transition's been pretty seamless, isn't it? Yeah, I think the transition's probably even gone better than the, what it was under Potter. I think it was kind of, I was kind of taken aback by it because I thought, you know, Deserby coming in, I thought there was going to be some drop-off and then pretty much every single metric or everything has just been blown out of the water um, by Deserby since he's joined. And I think I did I did watch a lot of him when he was at Sassuolo and <clears throat> there was clearly a blue a blueprint there and he styled it. Could have been done at a top club, um, but to go to Brighton and do it in the way he has, um, you know, he's, I don't, I don't know if he, I don't know about their January transfer window, but he's not bought a single player. I don't think like he's he's managed the team perfectly. He's lost, he's lost big players, he's promoted youth players, um, and he's just he's just gone in. It's it's quite scary. I think they they average the most possession in the league at the moment, which is just ridiculous to think about when you know you're watching Man City and you're watching Arsenal on a weekly basis and the way they control games is something that I've I've not seen apart from Man City in recent years and even Arsenal don't um control games on the ball as well as they do at the moment and that it's it's a massive praise he's he, one of the best coaches in the Premier League I think he, he's he's right after the first bracket for me in the first bracket you have got Pep and Arteta and then the second bracket he he's right there um Alongside the rest, um, he's just absolutely exceptional. I think, 
I was I was I tipped him to do really well at Brighton, but I thought it's a club that is going for a big, big hit at the moment with um, Graham Potter leaving, you know, multiple players leaving in the summer and then, you know, so, um, Trossard leaving in Jan and stuff like that and the Caicedo rumours. And I just thought probably a bit too much for him to have an instant impact. Um, but he's, he's playing absolutely ridiculous football, a, a ridiculously good footballing club. And I think, it's going understated right now because of where they are in the league, but they've got like three games in hand on everyone. Um, so it's it's not going to be a surprise if they, if they turn up at fourth at the end of the season for me. I don't, I don't think they will do it because I just think um, it's just too much pressure on a group of players that have never really been at that feat. But going off the quality of football they're playing at the moment right now under Deserby, it's it is Champions League quality by by far. Yeah, you obviously mentioned there about the control they have. And I was looking into the Deserby last month, I think, and it may be the same now, but there was a point where he had the most matches with over 70% possession. I think it was five at the point last last month. And yeah, obviously teams have control when they have 55, 60, 65% possession. But when you're hitting 70%, that's just it's absolutely obscene numbers. And it's very difficult to lose football matches when you when you have that much control. You know, possession yeah. don't win football, but when it's hitting seventy percent, it's it's almost impossible not to create you know two plus xG every single game. And and Jack, one thing we spoke about off air is the way he sort of handled things, not just on the pitch but off the pitch as well. And yeah, is there anything you want to add sort of to the the tactical side? And and obviously, it's kind of admirable the way he's handled the the Sanchez stuff. There's been you know he's he's dropped him even though he's been the number one at Brighton for years. They've had Caicedo rumours constantly throughout January. Trossard, you know, there was rumours that he didn't really want to be there. He wanted to move. Instantly dropped him and said, if you want to leave, you can leave. Because he knows that he can work with any player. He can work with all the players that he's already got. And he doesn't want them bad eggs in the dressing room. Yeah, so um, what I really like about him is that he just wants to be a leader. And you see that through Sanchez. You see it through Caicedo. You see it through Trossard. I mean, if you're not informed, it will drop you no matter who you are. I mean, Sanchez is having a really poor season and I didn't realise it until I looked into the numbers. So goals against is at an all-time high for him. Save percentage is at an all-time low. Cross-claiming numbers, massively down. Um, it's really poor, actually, with his launch pass completion. That's down at 27.9%, which is so bad. And he's just not afraid to drop anyone. Uh, as you say, suspended Caicedo from training. Um, yeah, he just has total control and he's just getting his philosophy across to them players. Yeah, and that's the thing. You, you can talk about tactics all you want and, you know, we've seen it with managers before and they will try and implement their tactics and, you know, obviously sometimes it goes well, but, but when you have that much control over the players, when you've just come in from a different league, it's it, it's it's pretty crazy, to be honest. And, you know, it takes a lot of, a lot of guts because these are players that perform well. Over the years, Trossard's been one of their best players. Caicedo, Sanchez has been a good goalkeeper over the years. But he's seen signs already that maybe there's better options. Maybe he can deal without these players and gone, you know what, that's fine. If you want to leave, if you're not going to perform, you're not going to play for me. And and yeah, some of the performances they've had over over the last few months have just been have been unheard of. For, for a team like Brighton, I know we've seen it under Graham Potter, but like I mentioned, when they lost Potter... There was always going to be a bit of a transition phase, and you know it, it seemed a lot of people would have expected that, but there's there was seemingly no transition phase. He came in, I think he kept the same sort of system 
uh, like uh, in the early stages, and then he went, no, we're we're gonna play this way. He realized what players he's got, and then he just adapted his system to to suit them. And yeah, I think H, I'm gonna come to you. How how far do you think Deserby can go now? Because we've seen with Potter, he's he's gone straight to Chelsea after after a couple of years at Brighton, and obviously it's very difficult to judge him in these early stages, but a lot of people are judging him. You know, they've had these transfer windows and the complete overhaul of players. And he's kind of had his name slightly, I think it's unfair to say, but slightly dragged through the mud for a lot of fans. A lot of Chelsea fans wanted him out. They're starting to pick up results now, but would you like to see Deserby sort of build on this at the moment and, and stay with Brighton for a long time? Or do, do you think he's just destined within six months, a year to be at one of these top jobs, the Tottenham's, the United's, because, you know, the, the, the sky's the limit for him, really. But do you think he should be sticking around at Brighton for a little bit longer? Um, Yeah, I, th- I think he'd be... He's, he's obviously quite an intelligent bloke, but I think if you're just looking at two clubs on the on, on paper, you know, the, the clubs that are looking to get rid of their managers right now in Chelsea and Tottenham, um, Brighton are a better footballing club than Tottenham. Uh, they might not have the financial power that they do or the the massive pull they do, but they spend better. Um, they scout better. Uh, they play better football. They've got a better long-term strategy. Um, the spine of the team's better. Um, they're a younger team. They're a lot more ready for the long-term. And I think if Tottenham are to sack Conte, I think Fabrizio Romano said that they're not going to make a decision until, until the summer now, but if Tottenham were to sack Antonio Conte, I feel like they would have to sweep him for him. He's the only manager right now in the Premier League that is, we said this about Potter, but he's, he's outperforming his team again. Uh, the manager, for once, is doing that instead of the players. And I, I think the key thing the key thing about um, Deserby that I've picked up, at least, is that the system is complex, but it's not hard to understand like what's, what he's actually trying to do. Uh, you know, there's very there's very minimal um, like player shifts, rotations. It's it's very it's very easy for a player to understand, and this is probably why he's had such a you know a, an instant hit um, at Brighton. And I think if he went anywhere else, he could do it. And you know, he's not had a he's not had a preseason, for example, with the Brighton team. And if he would have that with a club who's going to give him the financial power of one of the one of the big six, it'd be it's quite scary to think about what he could do. Um, but I, I think he should probably stay. I think long term, Brighton they're going to get European football. I don't know what level at, uh, but they will get European football this year. Um, and I just feel like it would be it would be pretty stupid to leave a project that's looking that bright um, and you know jump ship to to a club like Tottenham or a club like Chelsea. Um, I think I don't know what the long term strategy is at Chelsea, but there's there's clearly not a long term strategy at Tottenham, um, and the, the managers that we're getting they're getting linked with at Tottenham seem to be very proactive managers, um, not very expressive coaches or anything like that. So I think there's not really a job that's going to pop up for him that is a probably a better long term strategy uh, than Brighton. Um, and the only managerial appointment that could potentially come up in the next year or two is maybe Liverpool or maybe Arsenal if Mikel Arteta jumps ship to Barca or Madrid. And I think I think that style that style of football probably suits uh, Anfield quite well. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. He, he 
probably should just stay put for now, I think. Yeah, and I think it, a club like Brighton is so suited to a manager like that because they have a plan from top to bottom. They have a plan from through all the youth teams and, you know, they've got, they they get rid of a player, they have another player lined up. They, You know, it's, it's pretty clear that Caicedo, even though he signed a new deal, from what you know, we see in the in the news and in the in the papers and things like that, it, it looks like he's still probably good chance of leaving in the summer. But they'll have that next player lined up. They signed a I can't remember the name, the midfielder from AIK in Sweden, who is just you just know is going to have probably a year to settle in, and then he'll be there. Matoma had a year to settle in. I think he went out in Belgium for a bit, and then he's there. He's ready. Evan Ferguson coming through, signing from Ireland. He's there, ready. Neil Mope leaves. They've got that next player in in line, and what where it differs for the bigger clubs like Chelsea, they very rarely give youth players a chance to to develop and things like that. We saw it under Lampard when they had the transfer ban; he gave the players like Mount a chance to Mori, but it gets to a point where they'll just constantly buy players, buy players, players that don't suit the system of the manager. Whereas Brighton, they have a system at Brighton. And then they will buy players to suit that system. They brought in De Zerbi because they knew he would work with them players. And I think that's where Potter possibly made a mistake in jumping ship. Personally, obviously, it's a bigger club. It's hard to say, you know, you shouldn't be joining a club like Chelsea. But when you've got that project and you've got these players coming through, you know, there's players we probably won't, won't even know about at the moment that are coming through Brighton at the moment. A lot of them aren't even coming through academies. They're coming through, they're signing them from clubs in all around Europe, all around the world, you, like you look at Ferguson and Matoma, for example. I think Ferguson from from the Irish league, Matoma yeah, from yeah. from a Japanese league. It's you know it's it's players that a lot of people wouldn't have heard of, and they'll come in and they'll they'll quickly become two of the hottest prospects in 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 Premier League at the moment. So, so yeah, moving on, we're gonna chat a little bit about Victor Osimhen. I know you two have been quite vocal about him on Twitter and things like that about a potential new striker for Manchester United. Obviously, there's the price tag, which is a little bit of an issue. Napoli are in a position where they can probably charge whatever they want. They're top of the league. They're doing well in the Champions League. They're going to be in the Champions League next season. It's quite an attractive club. Osman himself, he can say, I want 300 grand a week because I know I'm enjoying my football here. He's playing really, really well. Uh, Jack, I'm going to come to you first. How would you describe the sort of the play style of Osman? Because I think if you look at him on paper, obviously he's a natural goal scorer. He scores a lot of goals. Scored a lot of goals this season. But if you maybe look at some of his other metrics, he doesn't really stand out on a on a statistical side. But obviously you watch him with the eye, and he's so threatening. He's so dangerous to opposition defenses. So how would you sort of describe the the way he plays? It's a it's a bit of a tough one because he is just a natural goal scorer. I mean, the stats really back that up. I think it's 26 goals and assists this season, averaging a contribution every 81 minutes. Unbelievable, literally ridiculous. The partnership with Kvaric Scalia is just unreal. But as you say, got my concerns with his link up. I think it's the third percentile for passes completed per 90. It's um, I think he's actually good with his link up, but obviously Spalletti just doesn't use him that way. Um, he really holds the defenders back, drags them into wide areas, gets the best out of Kvaric Scalia, opens the space for him, opens the space for the midfielders to progress the ball. It's just a, it's a unique profile, and I'm not too convinced that it's one that Ten Hag would want. Maybe, maybe when we start controlling matches, but definitely not now. 
I don't think not yet. I think United needs someone who can facil- facilitate Rashford, get the best out of him. And I don't think the wide players are creative enough to get the best out of Ossiman at the minute. But he is for sure an interesting profile and he's just guaranteed goals with his movement. His aerial ability is ridiculous. He's one of the best. He's one of the best players in the air that I know. Um, and just his strength. H speaks about his strength really well. And I really noticed it at the weekend. He's just fantastically strong. Rolls defenders, holds the ball up so well. But yeah, he is a very unique profile at the minute. But I do have some concerns. Yeah, I think you mentioned there about the uniqueness. I think that's similar to how I'd describe him. The one word I use is sort of unorthodox. You don't look at him and think, oh, he's absolutely blessed with technical ability. He's not the sort of player that, you know, if you compare him to, say, Phil Foden on the ball, the way he manipulates the ball and things like that, he's not that not that technically gifted, but still so clinical and st- strikes the ball so well. Obviously scores so many goals, but... H, over to you. A similar question to you, really. Obviously asking your thoughts on him. And do you think he's a player that could suit a lot of systems, maybe in England? Because obviously Jack's there shared some of his concerns. But at the end of the day, a lot of teams in the Premier League, Chelsea, Manchester United, could probably do with just having a natural goal scorer in their team. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting for me. I've spoke about I've spoke about this with Jack multiple times, and it's just the, the the profile of centre forward that that Manchester United ha- well could have and you know crave in the transfer market there's there's so many knocking about and it's like Victor Osimhen stands on his own you know you've got your you've got your hold up players like your Harry Kane's and your your Ramos's and your stuff like that. and you've got your pure goal scorers in like your Vlahovic's and your your Sesko's or whatever like that um, and I just I think it really depends what we want to do long term. Um, because if if we are to keep Rashford as, as the the attacker in the team, because at the moment he he is the most advanced player playing up front or not, um, you know we're sacrificing a lot off the ball, um, so we can have him as close as possible to the, the opposition's back line, um, you know people are covering for him defensively, um, and if he doesn't want to be a traditional wide player, if he just wants to be a forward. Um, then long term, we we could probably look at someone, um, you know, who's a bit more involved in build up and a bit more um, clean with the passes and uh, a lot better at facilitating him in behind and stuff like that. But as far as Victor Osimhen's profile goes, I think I think he's probably one of the most physical strikers or players I think I've ever seen. Um, his stride is absolutely massive. I, I've never seen someone run so quick, but then also when he's running at pace, he's he's pretty unpredictable with his movement. He moves off the shoulder really well. Uh, he's really good off the mark, but then when he gets up to top speed, when he's just running in straight lines or he's running out wide or into channels, he's an absolute. He's so hard to defend against. I was I tweeted about it when he when we first got linked to him. And it's like if you're if you're a defender at any level, um, and you're and you, you know, you're getting transitioned and you're getting countered on, and Victor Osimhen's running at you. you. You, there's no way to to prevent him um, when there's space in behind. Um, and I just think for the for the long term, he's he is young. He's very, very expensive. He is still very young though. Um, there is a lot to be worked on there. I think Jack said he doesn't he doesn't get involved in build up as much as 
Um, you know, these other strikers do it with, Spall uh, with Spalletti's system. Uh, it's very... Um, it's very thinking on getting people 1v1 and, you know, allowing creative freedom and stuff like that. But I think Anthony and Sancho, if they are to have um, a long-term career as wingers at Manchester United, I do believe that they will need a centre-forward that they can, that they can you know, feed. And uh, Valvegos is a player me and Jack obviously really like for his different system reasons. But um, long-term you know, assists are everything for wingers, goal score, goal scoring, centre forwards. Uh, you know, you're not going to win a league without one, um, unless you're playing a fucking false nine like Pep or something. But um, yeah, I, I think I think long term we're going to need it. We're going to need a natural goal scorer number nine. Um, I think he will have a seamless transition to the Premier League. Uh, he won't have any problems adapting physically. Um, out of the centre forwards that are probably available for Manchester United, I believe that he's probably the hard, the hardest working one off off the ball. Um, he's very very good with his press. We've seen it against Liverpool. Um, he's he's absolutely exceptional. I think he's he's actually not as great as a finisher as some people actually believe. He, he has he has he is actually quite patchy with his finishing. Can come in spells. He finishes from ridiculous angles, but then also. Uh, He's striking. He's striking at the ball. He's clean, but you know, on his weaker foot, it's not really too great. Um, but I just feel like that that kind of centre forward is practically impossible to stop. Um, you know, he's got the he's got the biggest leap in world football for me. Um, his heading ability is second to none. Um, and I think if he comes to the Premier League for United or not, he's he's gonna he's gonna explode. He'll be one of the best strikers in the world for years to come, whether he stays at Napoli or not. Um, and maybe maybe it is for United. I I don't see it. I don't see us getting him. I think I agree with Jack where him and Rashford clash too much uh, profile wise. I think they're both looking to run in behind a bit too much. Um, but I think if we don't go and get him, I think a club like Chelsea would go and get him. Um, and he will be an absolute menace wherever he touches. He's the guy's the guy's pure gold. Um, and yeah, he's definitely one off, if not the best centre forward in the world right now, for sure. Yeah, you obviously mentioned the sort of power and the pace and things like that, and I think that's just so important in English football at the moment. You know, having that sort of pace and power. There's so many teams that hit teams in transition, like Liverpool, that dominate possession, but was still so deadly on the counter-attack and things like that. And and yeah, Jack, a, a little bit to sort of end the Osimhen section. I think there's a, there's a lot of toss-up between maybe Harry Kane and Osimhen for, for United. The two names linked, quite heavily linked recently. There's obviously a massive difference in sort of age profile and, and they're, you know, they're not exactly identical players. You know, Kane doesn't have that sort of pace and power that, that Osimhen has, but if you're United, if you're a Chelsea, two teams probably looking for a striker in in the next sort of few months. Are you are you would you be looking to go for the Osman profile in terms of the the age and banking on him, sort of adapting to the Premier League? Because there's obviously the risk with with him in terms of not adapting to England, but with Kane, you know you're going to get that. You don't have to worry about him adapting, but then you also have to worry that he's probably only got a few years left at the top level, don't you? Yeah, I mean it's a tough one, especially with. The price that Tottenham are quoting, I think north of £100 million, is just ridiculous. But for me personally, I wouldn't be targeting a profile like Osimhen. I mean, I love his strengths. I love his movement in the box. I love his aerial ability. 
He can break down low blocks. A, a large proportion of his goals do come from headers. I think it's 13 goals out of his 49 for Napoli with his head, which is a ridiculous proportion. But he can score any type of goal, take shots close to the goal. So, yeah, I think the finishing's there, but I would prioritise someone who can drag defenders a bit deeper, open the spaces for Rashford a bit more. But I don't know. Whatever Ten Hag decides to go with, that's the thing with United. They're kind of they're casting a wide net, different profiles of players. There's there's not really a correlation. There's not a specific target from what you're seeing. But for me personally, I think it's all about facilitating Rashford, getting the best out of Rashford. And if that centre-forward can also be a goal scorer like Ramos, I think that's the perfect fit. So I'll be leaning more towards a profile like that over Osimhen personally. Yeah, I think the price tag has a massive influence as well. I think if you if you're United and you've got quite a few issues probably to solve if you want to fully what's the word sort of fully adapt to Ten Hag's system, you need a lot more players. You need a lot more different players in different positions. I think there's obviously calls for a DM potential, you know, a new a new centre back, a new um, number eight possibly. So it's difficult to sort of blow all your budget on one player in that situation. Um, so moving on, we're, we're going to do sort of a little end of the show. We're going to look at maybe try and keep it a bit more recent, a bit more relevant to now. So we're going to have a little chat about sort of a performance of the week from the weekend, whether that be for a player, a specific manager, a specific team. Jack, I'll come to you again first. Um, who 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 would you say sort of deserves some sort of credit for the for the performance of the week, whether that be a player or a manager or a, or a club? Okay, so before I say it, I am going to apologise for the pronunciation of this because it's just guaranteed it's not going to be right at all. But it's Armand Loriente from Sassuolo. is the left winger. Um, he followed up on his performance from last week uh, against, I don't want to say this, I can't say this, but Cremonese, where he had one goal and two assists. Uh, and this weekend against Roma in the victory, the 4-3, he had two goals and one assist. He also... Um, he also had five successful dribbles, two key passes and five ground jewels won. It was a ridiculous performance from them. I thought Berardi was also incredible in that game, but this lad edges it. Uh, just turned 24, he's on eight goals, seven assists this season, averaging a goal contribution every 121 minutes. He's just a really exciting player from what I saw. His finishes weren't great in terms of ball striking. They were a bit scuffed, but the positions he was getting in, the touches in the box, he was really dangerous and he caused a lot of problems for Ibanez. It was a it was a good performance for him, and it's a player that I've not heard of before. So really putting himself out there this weekend. So yeah, he's my performance of of the week. Yeah, that's yeah. to be. Yeah, that's fair enough. He's a player that I'd sort of seen in about sort of the last few months, and whenever and we're linked with every single striker and winger under the sun in January. He's one of the players that I was hoping that we could maybe convince to come to England, but. Somehow we managed to convince absolutely no one to come to England. So, yeah, there was no point in me even looking at any potential targets after that transfer window. But, but yeah, it's, for, for me, I think performance of the week for me, I think it, it may seem an obvious one in terms of it's a team that have been winning a lot this season. They've deserved a lot of credit this season and they've been getting a lot of credit. Mikel Arteta with Arsenal. But for me, it was the performance against Fulham at the weekend. It was quite a quite a shock, to be honest, I think. It's not an easy place to go at the moment with Fulham. They've, they've been 
overachieving massively this season. No, I don't think anybody expected them to be where they are. Marco Silva's doing, you know, absolute wonders. And for me personally, from his time at Everton, I would never have expected him to be able to sort of achieve this with that Fulham squad. And and yeah, like I said, they've been performing exceptionally, but Arsenal just put them to the sword in unbelievable fashion. And I think you can talk about their performances against, you know, bigger sides and, you know, turning over teams left, right and centre. But when you're going to a place like Craven Cottage where they've they've had so much success this season and you're putting a performance like that, scoring them goals in the first half, just completely taking them to the sword, even without Gabriel Jesus, without Eddie Nketiah, no sort of natural striker, and to still be so dominant and hurt them, you know, in transition and things like that. You saw that Martinelli run where he, you know, took it around about three players and little things like that where it's like, they're the sort of games that I look at and go, wow, they could actually win the league. Because, like I said, the performances against the big sides, like they're going to come and they're going to turn up in these big occasions. But but when they have that sort of, that mentality to not take Fulham lightly and and still go there and dominate the game and completely, you know, play through them like they, like, like they were a team struggling for relegation where everyone expected, that was the biggest surprise for me. And, and yeah, I think, after the weekend's get after the weekend's games and the weekend's results, I think, you know, I think it's kind of convinced me to edge towards them to to win the Premier League title this season, which I, you know, over the last few months I've been unsure. But it's little performances like this, it's little comebacks against Bournemouth and against Aston Villa, where I just think, wow, they're just they are the real deal at the moment. And, and you know, Mikel Arteta is is he's serious. And he's he's, you know, after all the the sort of stick he had when he first came to Arsenal and they stuck by him, which was admirable because a lot of Arsenal fans were calling for him out. But the job he's doing at the moment is absolutely unbelievable. And I think it's the youngest squad in the Premier League in terms of the players they've used. I think it's joint with Southampton, averaging about 24 years old, I think. So, so yeah, what he's achieving is absolutely ridiculous. I think he definitely deserves some credit. Um, Over to you, Hates, to sort of end things. Who's your performance of the week? I actually had the same as you, but um, I, I'll, I'll touch on I'll touch on Arteta anyway. But I'll give a I'll give a wild card. Um, <clears throat> but I, I just think I I said this to a mate the other day. I just I don't get how he's done it. It's like it's absolutely blown my mind. Um, you know, we've watched this Arsenal team for three seasons, two and a half seasons, or whatever he's been there for now. Um, not anything. There were there were signs at the back end of last season that they had decent structure. Um off the ball, especially they were really good. Um, but just nothing, nothing like this. I mean, this is freakish almost. Like, and I don't like people saying it's the quality of the league because in my opinion, when I'm watching even some of the worst teams in the league, they're they're playing absolutely brilliant football. I mean, I watched um I literally watched Bournemouth versus Liverpool, Bournemouth bottom of the league at the time, um, going and set up an absolutely ridiculously good uh, structure. Um, it's hard to get the, the right the right players and get three points. Anyone could beat anyone in this league. And um, the fact that he's doing that, like with you said, like you said there, they've literally got the youngest team in the Premier League. And player for player, if you looked at that last year, there is absolutely no way that they should be anywhere near the top of the league. And I'm not. I'm not saying that just because, like, you, you know, whatever. But if you just said at the start of the season, how many of these players are title-winning players? 
I don't I genuinely don't know who I'd have picked out of the team to be like, yeah, they probably fit in a champ a championship winning team. Yeah, Saliba's first season in, in Premier League football, first season at Arsenal. The guy's one of the best center halves in probably the world at the moment. You know, Gabriel's come on leaps and bounds. I thought he needed to be replaced uh, sooner rather than later. Um he signed Ben White for 50 million. He got dunked on in his first game at Brentford away. And now he's one of the best. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. The guy deserves a ridiculous amount of credit. Um, not only not only for the personnel he's brought in and the money that he paid for unproven players at that level and what he's turned them into, um, but especially just how good they are on off the ball now. Uh, they, they're the best structured team in the Premier League, probably in the world. Um, and he's he's adapting each and every week to um, new principles of play. Um, and he's learning on the job and he's absolutely flying at the moment. And he's definitely one of the best managers in the world. And I'm really, really jealous that Arsenal have got a man who's doing that with the youngest team in the world. And it's got so many academy graduates in it, man. And it's, it's painful. But um, I'll say that my my performance of the weekend is quite selfishly Lissandro Martinez. Uh, um, we, we had 10 men and... He was still the best player on the pitch. And just look, this guy's absolutely world-class, man. Like, I watch, every single time I watch this guy, I just think there's there's no way he could, he could be any better than he is. Like, he doesn't, everything he does surprises me, but it's it's almost like, well, I know he can do that, so he's going to go do it again. And there was a, the amount of times he's he's doing the passing of pretty much everyone. We, we played without the spine of our team against Southampton. <laughs> and he was literally playing all the way up through the midfield. He was breaking lines left, right, and centre. Um, and the way he turns on the ball now, you can tell he's getting more confidence in the Premier League. Um, some of the some of the turns he's pulling off, man, he, he's low centre of gravity for a centre-half. I've never seen someone use it like that. And the guy steps up into midfield and, you know, he's dropping the shoulder. And it's, it's scary to look at. And I feel like we've... Manchester United have got an absolutely world-class centre-half on the hands and um, yeah, I just feel like it's he's, re- he's responded beautifully to the to the, obviously the the hatred or whatever from the Liverpool game there. he defended well and got memed for it but um, yeah, nah, he's top centre-half one of the best in the world and I, I don't know why, I don't know what Jack thinks this but it's not even close to the better of him and Varane is for me like I don't even think it's close anymore. Like I really like Varane. I think he's one of the best box defenders in the world. But Lissandro is absolutely ridiculous. Like I don't think there's a team in the world that he wouldn't slot right into. Um, he's uh, yeah, he's, he's freakishly good, man. Freakishly good, and unfortunately, he was on um, was on the end of a ten man deficit for the uh, for the nil nil. But oh well, still one of the best centre halves in the world. So. Second. Yeah, I think he's a he's a, a player that he could probably slot in midfield for majority of the Premier League clubs in in the league, and and that says a lot when you can do that, but also have this sort of defensive ability that he's got. It says a lot about the player, and obviously he's he's played for played at Ajax, and that's the sort of the way they teach their players how to play, and he took that straight to the Premier League. You know, I, and I think looking at it from a, a less tactical perspective, the way he's what I like to see from players is is the passion and the 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 connection with the fans. Like I know you boys will obviously see it as as fans of United, but that, that's why he's sort of one of my sort of favourite players in the league because 
when you see the players reacting with the crowd, they're celebrating tackles and he's sort of bringing the best out of out of others. I think you see in every week now, sort of him, Dallow, Varane, they're all celebrating, you know, get, saving corners and, and putting, you know, getting goal kicks and things like that. And you have that mentality in the squad. You're only going to get results. And yeah, and I think that's obviously partly down to Ten Hag as well. He's instilled the the mentality of these players so well. And it's something we spoke about last week in terms of the ruthlessness, you know, dropping Rashford for, you know, ill discipline and getting rid of Ronaldo and things like that. So, yeah, trying to not make this too much of a United pod, but, you know, it's big talking points and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it's just one of them things. But, but yeah, I think that's the end of the show there. So thank you so much once again for listening. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your pods, same as usual, please give us a rating, give us a share, and please give us some feedback. You know, we're new to this. We'd love to hear your thoughts, what you want to hear, what you want to hear us talk about, guests you want to see come on. We're going to start looking at getting guests on in, in the near future and just have some more football discussion over the next few weeks and months. So thanks again for listening. Take care, stay safe, and all the very best. Thank you.